to, we'll start out at verse 21 this morning, going through uh, verse 26. And uh, just want to say good morning to you. Thank you so much for, for being here. I'm excited about what the Lord is wanting to show us this morning. And uh, I pray that we just come expecting and hear from the Lord this morning. November 3rd already. November 3rd. And uh, I've already been threatened to make sure that I'm out in time for us to get the uh, Popeye's chicken sandwich. Uh, that's going to be coming out today again. And so uh, it's been revived and, uh, and so uh, I've already, I don't even know if they'll do this to me when it's time or they'll just walk out. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, uh, this, this morning is, is special for a few different reasons. Uh, and uh, it's November 3rd, like I said. But November 5th, two years ago, uh, was our first meeting at Cross Point. So it's our two-year kind of anniversary. And... Uh, and so I'm very humbled by the fact that, you know, we're here. Uh, we're still strange people, still very, uh, you are, not me, but you are very strange people uh, for the different journeys that we've been on uh, from my home to a shed. It was just a shed to a, a what was it, a shop? shop uh, let's see, a shed, a shop, was a coffee shop just right there, and to a school. So it was a three... Yeah, three uh, different S's in that regard. And so uh, and now we're in uh, a borrowed building with the Methodist Church, and we're very thankful for them. And so we've been on a quite on, been definitely on a journey these last two years. And thinking about that over this past week, uh, I started thinking about just, uh, you know, marriage. I looked up some things according to, you know, just marriage and what does the first two years of a marriage kind of look like? And uh, whenever I was doing that and just looking, it was started talking about, you know, in the first two years are just so critical, uh, you know, being able to either have fun together or you're having difficult times, uh, whether a person is understanding how to be selfless or they become even show themselves to be even more selfish, uh, a fear of conflict, lack of respect for each other, just on and on. There's just so many things that really dictate themselves in the first two years of marriage. And then I started thinking about even, even our own personal lives, just as, as we, many of us, and you saw all the many children that we have in our church. And, and uh, I really wanted to even have a child come up here that was two years old, just so we could see them and see how, see how dependent they are of their parents, see how wild and crazy that they are, right? And, and that if we let them free during the whole time of church, they would be just all over the place. And that's why we're thankful for our workers this morning. But uh, two years old, uh, when a, a child is born, they're just so critical. And uh, in the first, it, doesn't, it didn't show me a lot of data on two years old, but it really talked about in the first three years of a child's life of how crucial it is. And, and so when you do that, it just, it, it, there's so many things that are developing in their lives. Not only their brain and all the things that they're learning in those first three years, um, but things that they learn in those first three years set up like it really dictates so much of the rest of their lives. And so for us as a church, it's just it's the reason I even bring any of those things up is because, you know, that we've gone through a lot over these first couple years and it's been a lot of rocky starts. And they always say that the two years old when you're they always call it a child's life of two years old. What? 
terrible twos, right? And so for us, we want to be able to develop some good uh, behavior, some good things that, that the Lord is just putting on our hearts and lives for us to really set the tone for our church for many, many years to come. And I hope that we can join forces and be able to do that. That was a little bit of my introduction of our two-year celebration. Uh, sorry it wasn't very much. I didn't have a lot of streamers or cake or anything like that. Sorry. But, uh, but anyway, y'all need to loosen up a little bit this morning, all right? March 19th was the last time that I presented a message to our church. And uh, March 19th, a little over seven months ago. And so that will not dictate of how long I will preach this morning. It'll be short, all right? But I'm very thankful to be here. I'm very thankful to stand in front of you. The last verse that I read said, of which I became, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God. Um, <clears throat> of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. Let me tell you something. God's grace is good. We understand that? God's grace is good. And so God already gives us mercy when we don't deserve it. But on top of that, he gives us grace. Do we understand? I mean, do we grasp that a little bit this morning of how good God's mercy is? We deserve hell. We deserve separation from God. And he says through his son that we don't have to have that separation, that we can have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then on top of that, why? But he does it because he's God and he loves us and he cares for us. And he's that great and that awesome that he gives us mercy on top of that. So when you and I mess up and you and I just, we go our own way, we do our own thing, God still loves us and cares for us. You know, we th think about your children. Many of you have children this morning or have grandchildren, and grandchildren is a lot easier on this. It's like when they mess up that you, they don't deserve the things that we give them, but yet because we love them so much, we give to them. We keep, keep giving to them, and we want to bless them even more. I told my kids this morning, it was a crazy morning. Like, if y'all would have all gotten dressed early, we would have gone to McDonald's, we would have eaten, but it was a fight all morning. And they missed out on a blessing. Why? Because we're fighting and we're, we're, we're not listening to the things that God wants us to do, and so we're having to settle. But God is wanting to bless us more and more. And so that's not even part of my sermon, but I wanted to mention that to us this morning. Just I, I pray that we see and understand the gift of the grace of God that he has, not only for my life, but for all of our lives this morning. And so I want us to turn our attention. Like I said, the message is, uh, is going to be in James chapter 2, verse 21 through 26. And we're going to look at examples of the faith as we've been looking at working from victory and James and, and brother Jake did such a good job last week of showing us of what the Bible was talking about of how we as we're walking towards this place of victory we're living in this place of victory in our lives that he's telling us our works should be backed up as far as we say one thing here's our faith that we say that we have in God within our work should follow those things and James does a great job the, the writer of this book as brother Jake has told us many times already in this in this um, 
in this book that James is the half-brother of Jesus, and he didn't believe whenever he, the Lord was with him until, until the resurrection that James uh, was a believer. And so James is just really on fire for the Lord. He's excited about all the things that God has done in his life. And, and so James is not only teaching us these things as far as how our actions should be, but then now he sets the tone now in this last part of this chapter 2 that he gives us two great examples. And these two examples are just, I think they're great. I think they're awesome of how James uses these two specific people. And so uh, I want us to see this morning, uh, uh, just in a sentence, as Brother Jake has been doing, setting the tone for this, that your actions, Judy there, your actions should live up to his word. Your actions, your, your actions, my actions live, should live up to God's word. And so I hope that we see that this morning as we look at this message. And, and before we read and get into it, I just want to say one last time, just preparing this week just reminded me of the spiritual warfare and the spiritual things that come against uh, us, or not only as Christians, but as, as preachers of the gospel. And so I pray that you would continue to just lift up Brother Jake each and every week. Uh, whoever's up here preaching, I pray that you would pray for them and covet them uh, in your prayers. Because I'm telling you, when, when the Lord is wanting to do something in any of our lives, is really when we get attacked the most, uh, and so I, I pray that uh, I pray that we would be faithful to do that. Also, I pray this morning that you would all just kind of uh, again not only relax and just enjoy this morning, uh, but that we would actually get just a little real this morning. You know, one thing that I have seen myself over the last couple years is that you know what I, I try to be a lot more transparent, try to be a lot more open, and and I don't like. I don't like playing church. I don't like playing uh, and having this false uh, persona. And, and so that's why you'll see me a little bit in, in church when I see somebody just walking over there, uh, you know, uh, hugging their neck. And just, you know what, just because we're in these pews and these stained glass and, and these kind of walls, uh, you know, we need to understand who we are. We need to make sure that we're just not in the suit and tie uh, where we feel like, you know, we have it all together. Because I'm going to be the first one to tell you that Carrie does not have it all together, all right? But I'm going to be the first one to tell you that I do not have it all together this morning. And so I just want us to allow God to just really speak to our hearts and lives this morning. Because I'm telling you, if we get a glimpse this morning of what the, what the gospel uh, writer, James right here, uh, James, excuse me, is saying in this passage of scripture, it would really transform our lives. So let's just dive right on into it. In James chapter 2, verse 22 uh, down to 26, uh, follow along. Verse 22 says, do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, I'm sorry, let's go down, let's go back 1 to 21. Let's go back to 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called a friend, the friend of God. You see that, uh, you see that then a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So we're going to dive right into it, as I said, on these two people. And the first one that we'll look at is Abraham. All right, everybody with me this morning say, uh-huh, please. All right, 
That was a little weak. Everybody with me this morning? Say, uh huh. There we go. All right. All right. So as we look at this, Abraham, Abraham, when he tells us this in verse 21 on down to uh, verse 24, he looks specifically at this person, Abraham. And so we can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. We don't have to literally turn there, but you can if you want to. But Genesis chapter 12, God calls this man Abraham out. He just really almost taps him on the shoulder and says, Abraham, I am wanting to make you a great people. I'm wanting to make you a great nation. And I'm wanting you to trust me, Abraham, that I'm asking you to leave where you have a place where your father is and your brothers are and your whole family is everything you know, Abraham, everything you know humanly in your, in your scope of things, I'm wanting you to leave and go where I am telling you to go. To a place you have no idea about, you don't even know where you're really going. I just want you to, key word this morning, Trust me, Abraham, and I want you to go over there. And the Bible tells us that Abraham did. He left. He started going to the place that God had told him to go. Then God tells him a promise in, in Genesis chapter 12. I'm going to turn there just to kind of skim through it a little bit, and you are more than welcome to as well. Um, but Genesis chapter 12, he, he gives Abraham a promise. And Abraham, I'm going to make you not only a great nation and a great people, but whoever blesses you, I'm going to bless. Whoever curses you, I'm going to curse. I'm going to bring you to this place. As soon as God gave him that promise and he moved, he started going in that direction. The Bible tells us that a famine happened in the land. It is so interesting how God does a great work and there's such a great uh, thing that happens in a person's life. Maybe we can attribute to us being saved, being born again. And God has saved us uh, not only from separation from him, but uh, we now have a relationship with God. So he's done something great, something marvelous. And then as soon as that happens, what happens? Real life starts to happen in our life. And so we get desperate. We fall upon things. We start to question some things in our lives. And we can attribute that to maybe some kind of famine as they were having in this land. And so Abraham, we understand after this great move of God, he goes down to Egypt, the Bible tells us, because of the famine in the land. You know that story of how he... He lies about Sarah being his wife, that he was his, that, that was his uh, sister. And then, uh, and then uh, the Pharaoh gets mad. He, Pharaoh sends him away, all these things. And so you see Abraham early in his life fall before the Lord. And then you see that God is still blessing him. He still has all these great things. And, and, uh, him, and him and his nephew Lot, you remember this story. I'm just kind of going through it because I, I want us to understand where Abraham's coming from. Abraham decides that he is going to go this way and Lot, his nephew, is going to go the other way. Lot chooses the place of Sodom and Gomorrah because of how beautiful it looked and the attraction that was there. And for Abraham, he chose the other way. And that was the land of Canaan, the way he was going. And so we see in those things that, uh, that there's that division between him and Lot. And in this, even though God had given him all these things, we see that Lot begins to get himself in trouble. Lot gets himself in trouble in Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham comes to the rescue and helps out, helps out Lot. And we see Abraham at that particular time, whenever he helps out his nephew Lot, that he gives a tithe uh, to the priest of that day, Melchizedek. Uh, we see that in the book of Genesis as he tithes to the Lord all the things that they've gotten from that battle uh, with, with Sodom and Gomorrah. 
And, uh, and so we see some, some great things happen in the life of Abraham. And then God tells Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. And Abraham says to God, sounds good. He said, but my heir is not even of my own blood. Whenever I die, all these riches that you have given me, he goes, it's going to go to someone else's son. He's going to go to my right-hand man's bloodline. It's going to go to his son because I have no one. I'm childless because my wife, Sarah, has been, is barren. And God says, I'm going to give you an heir, Abraham. This is in Genesis chapter 15. And he says, it's going to be from your own blood. And if you were to look at Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, it tells us that Abraham believed the Lord and it was accounted to him for righteousness. That he could actually stand right before God. When, when we're talking about righteousness, we're talking about us being face to face with holy God. How can sinful man be toe to toe and have a relationship with someone who is so perfect and holy? It's only because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In, not in who we are, but in who he is. And so Abraham believed God of what God's word was saying was God's word was saying, whatever God was saying was true. And Abraham believed him and it was saying that on Abraham's account, on his behalf, it was accounted unto him for righteousness in Genesis 15 verse 6. And we saw that later on in, and we'll see that in just a second again in, in, James, in James chapter 2. That's what it's referring to that because of his faith, it was accounted unto him for righteousness. And then we see a little bit on, later on, as soon as this great promise happens, Abraham tries to figure out God. Tries to figure out, well, maybe God meant this and maybe God meant that. And that's whenever he, he takes in his maid servant because Sarah was barren. And he said, maybe God meant this. He tried to figure out God and he, he brings in his wife's maid servant and he has a child with her, not what God intended. And so here you see Hagar uh, and having a child for him, Ishmael. And then we see even through our mess ups and our things that happen in our lives that God still gives, comes back to him in Genesis chapter 17 and says, Abraham, I'm not done with you. I have yet even to get started with you. He says, I'm going to give you a signed covenant. He goes, I'm going to show you that you are mine. And he gives him the, the sign through circumcision of all the male sons. And he goes, Abraham, I'm going to start this off with you. I'm going to give you a signed covenant to show you, Abraham, that you're, going to, you're mine. And you're going to, your people are going to be my people. And we're going to go places. And my promises are going to come through your lineage, lineages, Abraham. And so in the next chapter you see how God gives him that promised son, Isaac. Isaac, I love how when Sarah receives word and she overhears how God is going to give them a son through her, that she laughs. Isaac names, Isaac's name means laughter. She laughed at the fact that God would be able to give her a child at such an old age. She was 90 years old and he was 99 years old and God was going to bless them with a child. And she said, it's just impossible. And God said, listen, you're going to have a son because anything is possible with the Lord God. And so what a great, great place God has, just all the great things that God has done. When he see, when he, whenever he received his son, this son of promise was finally here. I love this. Even in the time of blessing, 
that Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot found himself in a bad situation again. I mean, Jesus, uh, Jesus, I mean, God in the flesh, and so we see Jesus, they meet Abraham there at his home, and uh, the Bible tells us that Abraham, this is in Genesis, in case you don't believe me this morning, but in case you're following along, but Genesis chapter 18, these three men approach Abraham, and Abraham entertains them and shows them kindness. And, and, and one of them is speaking to him. The Bible tells us as it was God himself, God is speaking to Abraham and telling him that he's going to have this son. And immediately, immediately right after this situation, the two angels leave Abraham's place and they go to Sodom and to deal with what's going on with Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham stays back to plead with God to spare Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, there's people that I'm around, godly people. And when I, when I come in contact with them, they're always telling me of just how great things are in their life, and which, is, which I'm happy for. And, you know, how can I be discouraged? How can I do this? I mean, be, because of how great God is. And God has given us all these promises in the Bible, and he has. And I pray that we're living that kind of victorious Christian life. But I also want to say to that person, who are you helping carry the burdens of other people? Like who around you are you just really passionate about that you care about what's going on in their lives? Because for me, what the Lord has really done in my life and really stirred up, and I, believe me, I'm, I've already told you a little bit, just, and you already know how messed up I am, Okay. But as we go through this life, don't go in a place where you're just oblivious to the people around you. I love how Abraham, God has given him such blessing and such promise, and yet he's concerned about his nephew Lot and the people there. You, you've heard this story of how he goes on and he says, God, if there's just a couple to spare, if there's just this many to spare, if there's just this many to spare, God, would you spare them for this many righteous people in the place of Sodom and Gomorrah? Would you do it? And he just keeps pleading with God, not for his own self, but for others. And Abraham is called to us the father of faith, just a man that just, he was trusting in the Lord, pleading with God because he knew God was the one that could do something about every one of these situations. And I pray this morning that we would not be in our own little shell, but that we would understand the needs of others, what other people are going through. Sometimes when me and Brother Jake are talking, uh, you know, we're talking about maybe somebody in their marriage and having a difficult time or somebody just in their life and and sometimes I wonder, are, are we more passionate about it than they are? I sure hope not. I don't think so. But sometimes it feels that way because I, I pray and I hope you understand of how much we care for you as a church. I pray as a church that we would care for one another. When you're going through something that you understand and that we understand that we're all going through this situation together. When there's victory, we celebrate with you. When there's hard times, we're there with you. I pray that we would become this kind of people, especially in this next year to come for us, that we'd be a people concerned for each other. So he pleads for Sodom and Gomorrah to the Lord. Again, even doing this, what does he find himself going on in the next story? He finds himself going down to Egypt again. Now, how many of you like me, my parents used to say, they would say this French word, 
I don't want to try, attempt to say it, but that boy is Tetu. He's just hard head. He's hard headed. Okay. You're with me still this morning. All right. He's hard headed. And so Abraham, guess what? Hard headed. Because he should have learned his lesson. Not only you should learn your lessons in what God is already doing in your life. And what God has already done in your life, that we should be on the straight and narrow at that point in time. But then when we mess up and God shows his grace to get us back where we're supposed to be, that's what he did for him whenever he went down to Egypt the first time. But later on, Abraham finds himself again. He finds himself again in, the chapter, in, chapter, uh, in chapter 20 of Genesis, doing the same thing before this king, lying again to him. And God tells on him this time. God tells the king in a dream that this man is a prophet of mine and he's lying to you and he shouldn't be here. And so the king wakes up the next day and he basically throws Abraham out. And, and have you ever been in a place, in a situation where you know good and well you shouldn't have been there? And the people that are there know good and well you shouldn't be there? You know what I'm talking about. Teenagers, we could easily equate it to them because for them, you know, if they're at a party that they're not supposed to be at, and if they have the Holy Spirit inside of them, they're just kind of, you know, I'm really not supposed to be here. Not only do I don't want my parents to know, but, you know, I keep saying that I'm a Christian. We all can relate that to teenagers. You know, when you get to college, you're like, you know what, I'm probably not supposed to be at, you know, back in the day it was cowboys and, and OBs or something like that. I'm probably not supposed to be here. And everybody else around you in your circle like, yeah, you're really not supposed to be here. But for us adults, there's things and, and situations that we're in and we know, yeah, we're probably not supposed to be here. And, and it's sad when other people around you know and, they tell, and God is the one telling on him. If, if you understand what I'm saying here in Genesis, in Genesis uh, uh, 22, uh, 20, uh, excuse me, when God tells him, tells this king that Abraham's one of mine and that he, he's not where he's supposed to be. What is the reason for that? What is the reason for that? The reason is, is that God wanted Abraham in famine, in promise, in bad times, in good times. Abraham, I just want you to trust me in every situation of your life. Will you just come to me? Will you just come and ask me whatever you're going whatever you're facing today, just ask me. And so that's what God is wanting to show him through all of these things. I said it earlier, I messed up. It was, a, it was the time of Isaac's promise again. But now it is when Isaac is officially born. And in Genesis 22 is when we see the story when now this promised son is born and Abraham takes him because he's following God's word and he takes him to go sacrifice. And his promised son looks to him and he says, God, uh, Daddy, where's the sacrifice? Where's the lamb that we're supposed to, to sacrifice to God in worship? And Abraham says very prophetically, God will provide. God will provide. And so Abraham, thinking in his mind that he's going to slay his only begotten son. And he takes him up on that hill and he goes to strike his son. And the Bible tells us 
that the angel of the Lord spoke to him and told him, stop. And God told him to stop. And Abraham uh, sees, looks up, and he sees a ram caught in a fence, caught, caught in these bushes. And he goes and grabs the ram and he slays the lamb, the ram, excuse me, to God and sacrifices and worships the Lord there, him and his son. And in Genesis twenty two fourteen, God says that Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. Now, I'm going to look over to, he, the reason I went through all of that very lengthy this morning is because when we get to Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11 this morning, we refer to it as the faith chapter. Many people call it the hall of faith. It's because you just, God lists out, the writer of Hebrews lists out all these great men and women of the Lord and all the mighty things that they had done. Great things that they had done. And of course, the Bible tells us about Abraham. And I love, uh, I heard a preacher say this the other day, and I haven't done enough research to confirm it or deny it. But it says, you know, when you look in the Old Testament, you will see all of the different struggles that you and I can relate to about Abraham. All his failures, him having a child with a woman uh, that was not his wife, uh, Abraham going down to Egypt and lying to the king there on multiple occasions. And, uh, and Abraham just not doing things that he should do. But when we fast forward and look at his life in the New Testament, it tells us about a man of faith. It only tells us about the things of the great things that were done in his life. And the only difference is, is the salvation and the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so for us, well, we have a lot of mess ups. Uh, I could, we can go on and spend our morning talking about all the ways that we mess up. But with the grace of God, God not only cleans us up, but God moves us forward in our life. And God, because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, that is how he sees us. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is already seated at the right hand of the Father and that he's making intercession for us. And that the Bible tells us and shows us that God is already in eternity. He's already there. All right. And he sees us not where we are now, but he sees us of where we're going to be. And so he doesn't see us in all this place of mess up and garbage and all of our fallen places that we are. But God sees us of the journey that we're on and where we're going. And so as we see this in Hebrews chapter 11, I'm reading in verse eight, it says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out of the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Listen, in verse eight, he's just telling us that he was just simply obeying the voice of the Lord. God said to do this. See, listen, let me, let me say this real quick before we move on. A lot of people have faith. But the question is, what do you have faith in? Do you have faith in God or do you have faith in what you are saying? Or you have faith in what somebody else is saying? Abraham believed what God was saying, then he could live in that victory. And the reason we said this, even on week one when we started this, the Quincy, I don't remember what the score was, but I know it was victorious against Vinton this past week. If the, 
If the players would have known, listen, all you got to do, do is just go do your best. Because here's a little secret. I already know what the outcome is going to be. You're going to be victorious. I'm telling you, that's not a time for you to be. Those players shouldn't have gone out there. We got one here this morning, too. Look, uh, we uh, don't go out there in a place of laziness. Don't go out there in a place of laziness. You should have be a pep in your step to know what to know. Even when times go bad and we're losing, I was already told because of the person that told me this, I have faith in, I trust them that they know how it's going, how the outcome is going to be. And when we really trust God in that way, God, you already know what the outcome is going to be. It's already a settled fact. And all we have to do is live in that victory. We should have a pep in our step. It shouldn't be in a place of us being, you know what, I could be lazy and I can go out and sin and I can go out and do all these things. No, God, I'm trusting you. I'm looking to you. I know you've already settled all these things. So, God, I'm going to live in that victory, in that place of victory and, and winning in my life. And so as we continue on, he goes, he says, I'm just going where God told me to go. Verse nine says, by faith, he dwelt in a land of promise. As in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, with the heirs to which are the same promise. He was in a place as a foreigner, and God said that you, this is your land. This is your place. You know how many days he woke up not seeing the promise of God? Every day of his life. Actually, his kids were later going to see it. Abraham's going to receive such a, uh, you know, where, where we'll be in heaven is going to be the new Jerusalem, the place that God not only had his people, but it'll be a new Jerusalem when we're there in eternity. God's promise, God's promise was not only good for Abraham's descendants, but it's good for even us today, even in the future. Abraham lived in that place, though, as a stranger, even with Isaac and Jacob. And for in verse 10, for he waited for a city which the foundations, which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself talks about of how, uh, how uh, Sarah herself also received strength to uh, uh, conceive seed. And she bore a child when, when she was past the age because, because she judged God, him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky and the multitude, innumerable as the, as the sand which is by the seashore. When God told Abraham, Abraham, you're going to have a child. Abraham was already uh, up in age. Now, can you, I mean, I know Jake works in hospice care. Uh, Jake, I, I advise you not to go and use this term to some of your patients and say, and like in verse 12, and him, he's as good as dead. Okay, in the old age, that's not a good thing to go around and tell people that he was just as good as dead. But that's how they described Abraham at his old age. Like, look, you're not having children because you're just as good as dead. Yet God says in that situation that you were in, you're going to have a child. And Abraham believed him of those things. And so that's what it tells us here in these verses. I want to skip over uh, just real quick. Stay with me. Verse 17 says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called. He offered up to kill his son that God said through him, he was going to give you 
as many children, innumerable, as many as when he takes Abraham, God took Abraham outside in Genesis and showed him the sky with all the stars. And it says, listen, you will have as many children as there is stars. And then he said, as the sea, as much as sand is on the seashore, you will have that many children. And at that time, Abraham had zero children. Then God gave him a child. So now he's at one from his own bloodline. And God says, kill him. And Abraham is saying, but God, the promise is in him. And sometimes we just read haphazardly through these verses without realizing of what Abraham was really thinking and meditating on and in trying to con contemplate. God, what are you up to? In verse 19, it says, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. Does not tell us this in the book of Genesis. I love it. I love that it tells us this in the book of Hebrews. That it says, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative speech. God saw his heart when he drew the sword to kill his son. God saw his heart and God said, I have you. His faith was tested. It was proven that, you know what? I can trust you, Abraham. I can trust you to do that, that you would just simply obey me. And he goes, you don't have to kill your son. I'm going to provide a substitute for you. He did not, Jesus, God himself, God the Father, did not even do that for us. Yet he slain his only begotten son for us. And we were the ones that did not have to die. Our substitute for our lives was the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like Isaac was able to get up off the altar instead of being slain, we were able to get up off the altar through salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus was that substitute lamb for us. Jesus was that substitute lamb for us. And so for us, we need to be in a place where we just trust God. Abraham knew, if I have to slay my only son, God, that promise is in him, so you have work to do, God. You have work to do, because I can't raise them up. You're going to have to do it. Now, Rahab, I apologize to Miss Rahab, the harlot, because I don't have very much time, but I'm going to do it. Let's read, let's read uh, James chapter 2, verse 25. Likewise. Was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? Verse 25 tells us. What a different story. Look, I, I told you these two people are really different. And uh, it's amazing of how God, when Jesus came on the earth, Jesus says, I didn't come for the righteous. I didn't come for those who were not in need of a, of a physician. I came for those who were in need of a physician, those who are broken, those who are homeless, those who are helpless. I'm coming for those. And so it doesn't matter if you think you know all the things about the scripture and don't have a relationship with the Lord, or you're a person that is just out there doing everything under the sun, and some people even think that they're too bad off for God to do something within their lives. It doesn't matter what extreme you are. 
Both people are in need of a relationship with God. And Abraham, James tells us, is a person of faith that had a lot of things given to him, yet he still needed to trust God. And he was brought to some great limits in his life for him to really get to the point where he was desperate for the Lord. Rahab, she was a, she was a person that was with just her reputation always being at a place of still calling her Rahab the harlot. She was a person that had this reputation and she lived in this great city of Jericho. And you, could, you can look at this. We're not going to turn this morning for time's sake. But I would love for you to write down Joshua chapter 2. That the, uh, Joshua comes in and, and the, uh, the army of Israel, they've crossed over the, uh, not the, uh, they've crossed over now the Jordan River. And they've gotten into the land of Canaan. Or they're, they're there fixing a cross, excuse me. And they go out and they say, here's all these great cities that we're fixing to face. And one of the main ones is this place, Jericho. And so they send out some spies. And there's two spies that go into the place of Jericho. And Rahab receives them. She's in the wall of the city of Jericho. And, and so she receives these two spies. The Bible tells us that she had heard. I'm going to go through this real quick. She took in the spies and in Joshua chapter two, verse nine, she says, I know that the Lord has given you all of these things, the things that you're going in to conquer. I know that God has given you all these things. She said, our people know it. She said, fear has fallen upon all of us here. We know that this God that you serve is great and he's mighty. She said that they were faint hearted, the people all around them were faint hearted because they knew, they knew that they were just next. They, were, they knew that God was fixing to destroy them because of his people. And she said, I heard of the Red Sea crossing. I heard how you just walked on dry land across. Now, I don't know how uh, word was being spread then, but it was being spread pretty fast. And the word was getting out that they had crossed the Red Sea. It says that you have destroyed others on the other side of the, of the Jordan River. And our, when we heard all of these things, our hearts melted. She, it's amazing of the words that she used, terror, faint-hearted, our hearts melted. She said, because for the Lord, your God, he is God. He is in control. He is mighty. And she says, so when you come in to take over us, she says, please remember me and my family. She doesn't just stop with her. She, she brings in the ones that were close to her. She didn't just think of herself as we were talking about earlier. She said, me and my family, could you bring us in? Could you please help us, remember us when God comes in? And they said, absolutely, we will do it. And they told her that you are to put out this scarlet cord out of this, of your window. And when we see that scarlet cord, then we will not destroy this place because of that scarlet cord. But you will have to do that. We already talked about how Isaac was a picture of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and how Jesus was our Passover lamb that was slain for you and I through the story of Isaac. But also it's a symbol right here when she puts out that scarlet rope and that scarlet cord outside of her window. It is also a picture of the Passover. It's a picture of how when they left out of Egypt of how they put that, that blood on that doorpost. And when the death angel would come by, the death angel would pass over, would forsake that house because of the Passover lamb, because of that blood that was on that doorpost. And so they tell her to put out that scarlet cord. And in Joshua chapter six, verse 25, 
They come in to destroy all of Jericho. And Joshua says, we, will, we spared everyone that was in that household. I pray that we'd be that kind of people in evangelism. Not to go out and, and you know, there's things that we think of, of, of how we could evangelize the whole community. And that's good in a way. But I pray that it would start at home. I pray that it would start to the people who are closest and nearest and dearest to us, that we would bring them in to the place where God is. And that's what she did. She gathered them in. She brought them in so that they could be safe. And so she was that passionate about them. Now, I want to turn really quick and, and I'll give me two more minutes. Can I get two more minutes from anybody? I only see one. Okay, two, four, anybody, six, that's six more minutes. All right, so Matthew, Matthew chapter one. Many of you get all excited about, you know what? And I'm going to start out reading in the New Testament and I'm going to start out, I'm going to go, uh, wholeheartedly, and I'm going to start reading the Bible. And then you start in Matthew chapter, I'm going to read the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, and the book of the genealogy of Jesus, and you go on, so-and-so begot, begot so-and-so, and so-and-so begot so-and-so, and you're like, what am I reading, right? Where am I at? What am I reading? But it's the reason that it's there, because when you get to, when you get to Matthew chapter 1, it says, this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, so Jesus' genealogy goes through all of these people. It goes back to David, and it goes back even further to Abraham. In verse 5, it says, after you read all those different names, getting up to in verse 2, 3, and 4, and in verse 5, it says, Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. This harlot had a child with Boaz, and Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. And Obed begot Jesse, in verse 6, and Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon, and so on, all the way to Jesus. Even with a past and a history as this woman, this harlot woman, God not only brings her into her, his family in mercy, and saving her from the destruction that was happening to the people of Jericho, then God blesses her to be the great-grandmother of David. And that's how God works. God works in a place of when all things seem like they're hopeless and they're helpless, not only does God take us from that, but God puts us in a, in a place of where he just blesses us and wants to bless us even more. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, we find Rahab's name there. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. She simply received the spies. What did that mean? Her works were demonstrated, were shown. Why? Because she believed in who this God was that she kept hearing about. And because her faith was there, and that's what she was saying with her, her voice, her mouth, maybe to the people around her, that, you know what, I believe this God. Like, he, there's something different about this God versus all the other gods that are being served. I believe this one, and I'm going to act according to that belief. 
And so when she saw people that represented this God, she took them in, she cared for them, and she placed them where they needed to be so that they would be hidden from the people that were coming uh, after them because she believed in their God. James chapter 2, verse 25, it says, Likewise, was not, the, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? And this is it. This is the conclusion of the matter. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. For us, we say that we have a relationship with God. We say that we trust him. Do we trust him? Do we trust him? That'll be the theme. That'll be the thing I want you to hear all week. Lord, do I trust you? And as you're thinking about, I mean, just list the top five things on your heart and mind that you dealt with this past week. Or maybe that you're going to deal with this week. Just list them out in your own head. And say, God, what am I doing? Am I at least asking you? Am I at least praying about it? What am I doing, God, to show you that I trust you in those areas that I'm asking you for answers and for direction and for guidance? Abraham was, when he was looking and asking the Lord, he's like, God, I don't know what you're going to do. And God, it may even be through death. And God, I'm going to need help if I'm going to even slay my own son. But God, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to trust you to deliver me from that. So if it's through sorrow, God, you're going to help me grieve over this situation. God, if it's through uh, loss, God, you're going to, you know, I already said that. But if if it's through victory, uh, God, you're going to help me to be victorious in this area. God, if it's through trusting something going on with my children, something going on with my job, Financially, God, I'm going to trust you in these areas and I'm going to obey you whatever you say in those things. I pray that we would simply wholeheartedly trust the Lord this morning. It's about just leaning in and asking the Lord and God, I trust you and I'm going to obey whatever you say for me to do. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you. We praise you, Lord God, for who you are. Lord, I thank you for allowing me to stand here this morning, Lord God. I pray that your word was just heard. Nothing of what I said, but just simply your word was just heard, Lord God. And we would see in these two examples, in these two examples, Lord, we would just see how you were just teaching us to trust in, trust in you, to lean into you. Lord, we don't have the answers. And as soon as we understand that and realize that and understand that you do have the answers, Lord, that you want to hear from us. You want us to be dependent upon you just as a two-year-old is dependent upon mom and dad to provide and to seek guidance. And what does this mean and what is that? Lord, I pray that we would be that desperate for you to hold us by our hand and show us the way that you want us to go. Lord God, we love you. And we praise you and we thank you so much, Lord God, for who you are. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.